Welcome to Gucci Row on the Rebel HD2. I'm your host, Kevin Kelly, with co-host Will Despart. Sitting Gucci Row like they say up at UNLV. Thanks for tuning in to our courtside conversations covering all things NBA. Young Rebel, young money, nothing you can tell me. Welcome back, y'all. Another episode of Gucci Row. I'm here, your host, Kevin Kelly. Your co-host, Will Despart. We're back at it, man. How are we doing today? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, excited uh, for some basketball this week that we're going to get to go to. So. Yeah, Summer League. It's that time of year. One of my favorites. Yeah, absolutely. The whole, uh, the whole NBA gathers in the city and um, get to rub shoulders with everyone. So it's an exciting time. For sure. So today we're going to um, cover a few topics. We're going to start out with uh, an under-25 draft. You know, all the publications in the fall right before uh, the season gears up like to do their top 25 under-25 uh, under lists. Um, so we're going to uh, go into that and draft a team of five starters and two bench players off that um, and let you guys decide which team you think is better. And then we're going to just talk a bit about they just finalized the FIBA team um, the USA team for the competition this fall in the Philippines, Indonesia. Uh, and um, we're going to just discuss a bit about that before closing out with um, the new CBA that was agreed upon this spring and it's just uh, breaking down a bit of the jargon and some of the uh, implications that it has around. So we're going to do snake for the twenty uh, under 25 draft. So Will, I'll let you start and then I'll get second and third and then back to you for uh, fourth and fifth. Oh, my first pick is going to be pretty obvious, uh, Wemby. Okay. Uh, he's 7-5 alien. Okay. All right, so Wemby at center for Will. My first pick is um, going to be Luka. Okay. I'm going to go Ant-Man. Mm. I'm a big Ant-Man fan. I think he's going to be a future MVP. Give it a few years. I like that a lot. So I'm going to go with a big myself. Um, and I'm going to take Jaron Jackson Jr., um, the reigning DPOY, and uh, yeah, I'm excited for his career arc. I'm going to go with Melo. Lamelo. I think I'll, it was either him or Ja, but, you know, Ja has some questions, obviously, going forward, and I think Melo, post-injury, I think he's going to be a stud. So I think that's a great pick. Uh, the, the one and two from that draft class, you know, they've been tied together forever, and uh, I think that they would work really well together considering their um, skill sets and how they'd mesh. I like that pick. Um, I'm going to go with a wing myself, um, and I'm going to take Zion. Yeah, I realize we haven't been doing Snake, which is fine, so you can just take that one next. I'll go Mobley. Okay. I need some defense in there. I think him and Wemby towering over the post. I think that's a good little combo there. Yeah, that would, <laughs> good luck trying to get a uh, shot at the rim on that team. So I have Luka, Zion, Jaron. I think I need another... Small wing or guard, um, Cade Cunningham. Uh, I think that he's a guy that uh, functions really well with the ball and off and can guard a variety of roles on defense. So to have him and Luca in the backcourt, I think would be phenomenal. Little Paulo. Mm. I think he's got um, his rookie year was insane this year. So I think yeah. going forward, he's definitely a player I want to buy stock in. No doubt. So now. Uh, your, uh, let me pick, and then I'll go through our um, starting fives, and then we'll get our two bench guys. So I definitely need another wing myself. 
Jaden McDaniels, um, definitely an early go for him. But I think that among the lists of wings under 25, I think he's probably the best defender of the bunch. And yeah, so to round out the starting fives, we have my team is Luca, Cade Cunningham, Jaden McDaniels, Zion, and Jaron Jackson Jr. And Will, your team is LaMelo, Ant-Man, Paolo, Evan Mobley, and Wemby. Now we'll get our two bench guys and then let you guys decide who is better. So, Will, if you want to start us off with the bench. Well, I'll take Ja now. I think mm. we can get past the off-the-court issues as he's, as, if he's a sixth man. We can, we can make that work. Definitely. And for my sixth man, I'll take uh, Tyrese Halliburton. I will go with the scooter. <laughs> Scoot, man. To close out my team, I will go with Chet Holmgren. So my team ends up with Luca. Cade Cunningham, Jaden McDaniels, Jaron, Zion, and off the bench, Tyrese Halliburton and Chet. And Will's team is Wemby, Ant-Man, Lamelo, Evan Mobley, Paolo, and off the bench is Ja and Scoot. So you guys take your pick. Let, feel free to let us know, uh, Instagram, DMs, whatever, who's got the better team. And uh, yeah. So speaking of young team, um, the FIBA roster was just finalized for this fall's competition, and it is a very young team. Just to, the guards on the team are um, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, and Austin Reeves. The forwards, Paolo Bancaro, Mikhail Bridges, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Cam Johnson. And the lone two bigs on the team are Walker Kessler and Bobby Portis. Um, if you want to just talk a bit about the roster, just like do you think they're thin at the big um what do you think of being having such a young team yeah i mean it looks like what a FIBA roster would look like at this point in time given where the national team is at obviously they're really thin with the center position I and mean, walker kessler's he's a good player but i don't know if he's the, the, the guy you want anchoring your national team in the post um I like Mikhail. I like Paulo. I think those are good players to have on the team. Josh Hart, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaron Jackson, of course. Yeah. And the guards, I think, are fine. But, yeah, the centers could be an issue. Yeah, I hear that. I think that I, – I, I mean, I agree. It, it, just having two bigs, no matter who they are, is thin. But, um, yeah, like you said, I think Kessler is a really good rookie, provides a lot of rim protection. But I don't know if you want that to be your centerpiece um, in the paint. But – that said, they also have Jaron in the um, technically in the, the forwards or wings department here, who provides, as we know, a lot of um, interior defense and rim deterrence. And then they also have Paolo, who's a big body forward and can provide a lot of rebounding and um, clog things up in the paint. Um, speaking of whom, Paolo had been getting a lot of heat, uh, especially from Italians, because he verbally committed at some point earlier. Um, that he would play for Italy if he got the chance. Um, but then the USA came calling, and understandably, he uh, wanted to w- win a gold, so joined us. Um, the same thing happened with Austin Reeves in Germany, which I just learned about. But they, uh, he, he had similarly had a commitment to them and then, got, like I said, got the opportunity with USA and took it. And like I said, I think it's completely understandable. It's clearly your best chance at getting a, a medal. So, um, yeah, do you agree with that? 
Well, I think the issue with Paulo was, and I was reading this on the internet and stuff, is that he was so adamant about joining Italy. Like, he's the number one overall draft pick, right? He was always going to get the chance to be on Team USA at some point. Like, it's not like Austin Reeves. I think it's different with Austin Reeves where he was like, he's an undrafted player who, like, this guy may never... he. The chance he ever got to play Team USA basketball is an incredible long shot. But Paulo Bencaro, he's going to be at the FIBA level no matter what. And he is making this commitment to Italy for years, saying, I'm coming no matter what. And they said, okay, what if America comes calling? I don't care. I'm coming to Italy. I'm playing for Italy. And obviously, I would do the same thing. I would play for the U.S., but... No, that's fair. I think, you, you know, especially when you bring up the fact that, like, Reeves' um, chance at playing for the U.S. seemed to be uh, significantly lower, especially from, you know, just the number one pick uh, and, and all the things like that. So there's definitely a difference there. I, I, I hear that. And uh, Paolo has been big on his Italian heritage. He, you know, has the flag in his bio or uh, whatnot and is um, constantly just uh, putting on for Italy. I saw him over there recently just uh, at a bunch of soccer games and stuff. But... I understand it. Um, you know, anytime uh, an international squad has the chance at landing someone like that, it's it's understandable that they'd be upset when they don't. For sure. So um, a few of these guys that are on the team, uh, namely Tyrese Halliburton and Ant-Man, just signed their rookie uh, max extensions this summer, which is five years, $260 million. Uh, as did LaMelo, but he's not on this team. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a huge bag. I think that for all three of those guys, well-deserved. I wonder uh, how this contract that they have will um, affect their team's ability to build rosters just based on the new CBA. So, yeah, the um, CBA agreement that got passed this spring um, and takes effect this year, this coming season, it's uh, heavy with jargon. There's a lot of... Um, it, it's an incredibly long document, so luckily we have um, <clears throat> guys that are able to uh, you know, break it down and put it in more simpler terms. So um, just to go through a few of the implications, like this newest one, so the previous CBA that got placed was in 2017, which did things like create the two-way contract, um, which allowed you know young players and even not young players, to, to uh, split time between the NBA and their G League affiliate, which I think we've seen have uh, really big benefits for teams and for young players. Um, so this one added another contract. So teams now have three two-ways and not just two. I'm a big fan. I think that it will probably help uh, with developing talent and not being forced to um, bury those guys in the G because you only have two opportunities to do so. The Trailblazers also just created their G League team. Uh, they were one of the last teams to not have one. So, yeah, I think that, like we've seen, how the G League's been able to develop guys um, and, and help them uh, compete and contribute on the higher level. Like Especially you talk about like Jordan Poole, who was stuck down there for a year and then came back and was you know completely different player. So that's one thing in there that... I think it's important. I don't know if you have any comments about that one. 
No, I agree. I mean, I think anytime you can get more players on the team, more roster spots is good, especially because there's been players in the G League that should shouldn't be down there, but there's not enough spots for them in the league. So yeah, and you yeah exactly. And you talk about like there's been a, a big uh, resurgence in discussion about the value of vets and what they mean to a team. So I think yeah yeah like enabling teams to um, have another contract where guys don't have to be on the team and they can go down um, and develop in the G, I think is great. Another big rule change was, um, so the NBA has long had a soft salary cap, which allows you to go higher than the ceiling payroll, but you have to pay what's called a luxury tax. And there also has existed um, a first apron, which is a threshold that's like $6 million over that soft ceiling. And certain conditions make that into a hard ceiling. Like, for example, if a team um, gets a player through sign-and-trade, that $6 million apron turns into a hard cap, which has been a thing. The new part, um, they just installed a second apron, another threshold above that, which is uh, about $17 million over the cap, that triggers much more harsh restrictions and makes it a lot harder for teams to buy rosters and um, build up super teams and acquire uh, expensive talent, but it shouldn't affect teams who um, home grow talent and end up having to sign those guys to big contracts. So for one, those teams who hit the second apron, one of the restrictions, they're completely barred from using their $5 million taxpayer uh, mid-level exception. This is, uh, you know, uh, something that enabled the Warriors to sign DiVincenzo last year or the Bucks to get Joe Ingles or John Wall to the Clippers, um, it can be really important um, in building your roster uh, because role players tend to fall into these minimums and mid-levels. So it's definitely something that uh, teams will look to not uh, fall under. Yeah, yeah, there's also, if you hit the second apron, you're not allowed to um, compete in the buyout market for you know vets who get uh, waived and then can be signed past the trade deadline, but that that's also not really a well-defined thing. But still, they're not allowed to uh, be involved in it. Um, they also those teams that hit the second apron cannot include any cash in trades whatsoever, and they can't use a trade exception that is not from the current year. So like if they had one from last year. Um, they would enable them to spend more money. They can't carry that over, which they used to be able to. Um, and then, yeah, the biggest uh, implications, in my opinion, are the um, if you hit the second apron, you have no ability to trade your first-round picks that are over six years out. They are frozen, and you can't do anything with them, which is huge because we've seen, you know, like I, I know – We've talked about all these trades that include like three, four first round picks that are like eight years, 10 years out. Um, so that's a thing that teams won't be able to do if they spend that much money. Uh, yeah, to, before we go on to the others, uh, what do you think about that? I, I, I love all these changes. I think that they'll help a, a more competitive uh, league with good parity. And um, yeah, I'm happy to see it. I think anything that helps the small market teams keep their stars and not lose them to the Lakers and the Knicks and the Celtics of the world, I mean, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no, uh, I completely agree. Um, 
another uh, new thing they put in uh, is called cap smoothing. So the way it used to work is, like for example, in 2016 when the the TV contract ran up, um, they had to sign a new one with Disney and Turner, and that like led to a, a significant influx in revenue because it's based on just the value, and that's assessed during these um, uh, television contracts. So they saw how hard it went up, how high it went up. Excuse me. And the um, salary cap responds accordingly, and it went up by 32% in one year, which like gave teams a lot more room to spend. And um, the spike that was a spike that allowed the Warriors the cap space they needed to sign KD um, after having the best year ever. People don't realize how much TV money runs sports. Like these, it's a TV program. It's not anything beyond that. It's just live television entertainment. It's just and it's it's in the same bracket as your favorite TV show. It's not right. Yeah, and so the the rules that they make have to uh, reflect these, and and then the money that you're allowed has to reflect, um, like you said, the the TV value and what it brings. But and the TV contract are the most important things for teams. Like that's what you're selling as your team and your brand is to get a big TV contract. Yep. Um. So so yeah that that spike that was uh not barred in the old CBA like i said allowed the warriors to get kd and just created you know a real uneven distribution of wealth um from teams that were willing to spend that so under the new one under the new agreement they have what's called um cap smoothing which is basically regardless of a new tv contract and any increase um of value the cap cannot go up by any more than 10% in any one year so um, if, for example, it was like the 32%, like in 2016, it would only go up 10 and they'd tack that on the back end. Um, so it wouldn't be drastic changes, but players would still be able to get all their money and it just won't come in the form of a short-term spike that alters the competitive balance. That's another good thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for any rule change that creates parity and helps balance uh, the um, power in, around the the between big markets and small markets yeah it's definitely a necessary thing so another big part was uh this is the one that people are talking about the most um there's a new minimum games played for individual awards and all nba um the old one was 58 games and the new one they bumped it up to 65 games so if you don't play 65 you're uh ineligible for you know things like MVP, Rookie of the Year, and all NBA teams. Any thoughts on that? I like it. I mean, you should be playing the majority of the season if you want to be eligible for those awards. And I also don't think 65 is a huge bump up from 58. No, it, and it doesn't seem like it, especially just by hearing, you know, it's only seven games, but uh, Jimmy High Roller on YouTube, I'm a big fan, made a video talking about this, and it displayed how... Over the, over the past three seasons, 15 of the 45 All-NBA selections wouldn't have made the cut, which like doesn't sound like all that much. That's fine. But in the 19 seasons before that, only 15 All-NBA selections wouldn't qualify. So the idea that these guys are playing way less and making these teams or getting these awards is newer, and it's something that... Uh, 
wasn't really a problem before the last few years. It's definitely an indictment on the load management era, too. I mean, like, it's necessary now because you're seeing guys that are just not playing back-to-backs. Like, it's, it's, it's bad. I don't think it's, like, great for the league to see that. Yeah, I agree. And I think the funny, like, caveat, caveat there is that uh, a lot of the players agree. A lot of the players don't want to sit out, and this um, often falls on franchises – uh, like you know, we talked recently about how the the Thunder and the Spurs um, and even the Mavs this year, you know, didn't play guys or whatnot because of nothing other than uh, standings, which I think is not good. Um, but so he posed an interesting question about how, like, is it worth trying to squeeze out a handful uh, of more games from these superstars at the risk of giving out awards to guys with, like, significantly worse numbers and contributions? What do you think? I mean, I think there's obviously some nuance in that discussion. Like, if a player is at 64 games or something, but if it's, like, Joel Embiid played 38 games in the season and he's having an MVP campaign in those 38 games, I don't care if, like someone played all 82 and is slightly worse i've obviously give them the award yeah that's fair and like you mentioned there is a there's uh, a little piece there that uh so there's a caveat like season ending injuries i don't know how they define that or when it has to come in but the threshold moves to 62 games um which i, I guess is fair and then also there's just a 20 minute minimum 20 minute minimum game uh, or threshold for all games played. So, like, you know, you have to wonder if teams will uh, play their guys for 20 minutes in a second and then pull them um, in games that are less important or whatnot and just get through the loophole like that. Like, um, in the video, he mentions AC Green, who has, like, this ridiculous... Yeah, he was the Iron Man. <laughs> ridiculous 15-year streak where he played literally every single game but some of them he checks in for like a minute. Yeah, that's like, the thing. But with 20 minutes, I think you can't really do that. I mean, you got to play 20 minutes is almost a half of basketball. And also with guys caring so much about individual stats and them having big implications on awards and even like their contracts, um, I don't think the players are going to be really excited to play a lot of 20-minute games where they can only score 13 points and, you know, it's going to significantly lower their numbers if they uh, are engaged in a lot of that. Um, so, and then another part about the uh, award changes, uh, another really interesting one, they are moving away from positions as the game gets, you know, far more positionless and um, tough to define. Uh, they're moving into just the five most vote getters will be on the first team, six through 10 will be on the second, and 11 through 15 will be on the third. Um, so th- this was something that like caused Embiid and Jokic to constantly have to fight over the first team, even though both of them, in my opinion, pretty clearly deserved first team All-NBA for the last handful of years. So yeah, I, I like it a lot, but it- there's also some interesting questions. How do you feel about it? I mean, yeah, I like it, obviously. I think it just the way the game is now, There's you can't really have positions when the game's gone positionless like that. And like you said, Embiid and Jokic, they'll cancel each other out. You'd see it with, like, you'll, you'll see it moving forward with, like, Luka and De'Aaron and Steph even. Like, those guys, 
not moving forward because they switched it, but you would have. Right, yeah. And even, like, you talk about, like, guys like Wemby that are really hard to define in one position. Like, he, he's listed now as a forward on the Spurs, but, like, he's seven foot three. I don't know. So, yeah, I agree with that. I think that a couple things to consider, though, are, like, what if, like, the five best players in the league are all one position? Should that be prevented? Or is that, like, justified? That, that's okay. That's how it is. Because, like... I think if that was the case, like, I don't think that would ever be the case. But if it was, I think that's such, like, an anomalistic thing. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. No, Go it's ahead. definitely, like, a, an extreme case. But, like, the, the trend exists for sure, even if it's not all five guys at the same position. Like... You like know, if it's five wings, I could understand that. Like you could realistically run a lineup with five wings out there and be fine. Yeah, it'd be a lot harder with five guards or five bigs. But, yeah, but yeah, no, that's fair. And like, um, but like for example, like when we go over these under twenty-five lists, and you or even like the feeble list, and you talk about how dominated the guard and wing positions are, and how lackluster the bigs are. Like uh, it seems to be that you're at a disadvantage in all NBA if you're a uh, position like that. But also like the all defensive teams switch to it too. So when you think about like uh the advantage that bigs have in all defensive voting, it's phenomenal. Like um despite Marcus Smart winning two seasons ago, all defensive voting is dominated by bigs and has been for basically ever because they play such an elevated role. Like, since 1990, there's only been two guards and two wings to win the award. It was Gary Payton in 1996 and Marcus Smart two years ago while they were guards. And then the wings were Kawhi Leonard, who won it twice, and Metal World Peace, who won in 04. Um, yeah, and then I guess you could put Draymond in there, but he played a lot of small big. But yeah, those are all, you know, clearly it's a thing that's dominated by big guys. So... Do you think it's fair that, like, despite them maybe having a disadvantage in terms of all NBA, they have a clear advantage in all defensive or things like that? I think the advantage is just the nature of the game, right? Like, big men are – their role on the court is largely defensive, so if, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's fair. I'm uh, – like, overall, though, like you said, I'm, I agree. I'm happy we're switching to a uh, less strict position um, – system that will allow guys to uh get in where they fit in and not have to um be designated to a second team despite being a top three player in the league at any one point um and then the last thing that was just announced is that uh the play-in tournament which is an, also a part of the cba will be played right here in vegas for the uh semifinals so i'm really excited about that and uh more nba basketball in vegas yeah, that'll be fun yeah so uh I guess just to spitball finishing here about Vegas and more basketball there, um, there's been plenty of rumors about expansion um, and what that will look like, and it'll be right here. Um, do you like the chances of them coming here? And, and if so, do you think the second will be in Seattle or elsewhere? And um, I don't know if you'd be able to answer this one. I definitely can't, but how would that affect conferences and divisions? Well, I don't think it'll happen within the next five years. I think it's something that'll happen more toward the tail end of the decade. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Vegas and Seattle—they've all—they've said for years now are locked in when they expand. So I think they would probably have to move like I don't know New Orleans to the east or something like mm-hmm. that, and then just keep those two teams in the west. Yeah, because they'd have to. Yeah, no, it's interesting. 
They'd have to because there's no put in either of those teams. Should in the New East. Orleans really be in the West anyway? Right. No, it's fair. I mean, <laughs> it'd be interesting to see because also like, um, you know, like what would would there be other implications of going from thirty to thirty two teams that we're not thinking of? Um, I'm not sure. Like, how would it affect? Like we were talking about CBAs, TV um, the deals. playoffs are already oversaturated, so I hope they wouldn't add like another playoff team. Yeah, but. no, I I could agree there. And also, just lastly, when you talk about expansion, um, it comes with a draft, which is my understanding is that you can protect eight players on your team, which isn't a lot whatsoever. And then also, like you, uh, unrestricted free agents are completely off limits. But I wonder how that would handcuff teams and what players might be you'd be surprised to not get protected because eight is not a lot. It's not a lot, but it's you can protect the core of your roster. I remember when the NHL did it for the Golden Knights. Like they were, they would give you they give you a good protection, but they didn't give you nearly enough and they allowed the Knights to really build up like a solid team. So yeah. the NBA you can you can make your expansion teams good by lowering the protections on players from other teams and if you want if your league wants the expansion team to be good and not be garbage they can be good and not be garbage exactly and also like one of the big drivers for why so many people want expansion is like there is just a plethora of um really good nba talent maybe even starting nba talent that doesn't get the opportunity that fans would like to see so um just having more uh rosters for these top end talents to compete in, I think is awesome. For sure. So then I guess just uh, for context, the last expansion was the Charlotte Bobcats in 04, who are the Hornets now. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Hornets then, who are the Pelicans now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that um, it's about time. I'm excited to see more NBA in uh, Vegas. And um, yeah, I just think that uh, the idea of the NBA bringing more cities and uh, a bigger fan base is something that all fans would be really excited about. So um, to wrap it up here, that's about all the time we have. I appreciate you for being here with us. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for Gucci Row this week. Thanks for tuning in on the Rebel HD2 with your hosts, Kevin Kelly and Will Dustbar. You can find us on Instagram at one Kev Kelly and Will Dustbar. We'll see you next time on the Rebel HD2.